privileged today, I believe, to, to have David Carr with us. Uh, and I've, I think this is the first time I've actually met David, so... <laughs> we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> but no, it's just a great privilege to have David with us. And, you know, being able to observe his ministry from more of a distance... And I think the, the great hallmarks about his ministry, I believe, is, is one, he tells it as it is, and we appreciate him for that, that side of his ministry. And the second thing that I think is, is great about his ministry is the compassion that he carries in his heart, particularly when he's ministering to people. And uh, you know, I've just been down in the lunch area and I've been observing him from the corner of the room, seeing how he interacts with people, you know, seeing that personal touch, which I believe is so important in ministry and in leadership, that we do everything out of a heart of compassion. And so I really do count it a privilege today for us to have David here with us. And I believe that he's going to share, uh, you know, some choice things from, from the heart of God and from the Word of God. And I just want us to open up our hearts, be receptive, uh, and, uh, and let, let, let's... Let's just give Dave a really warm welcome. Put our hands together. Thanks. Bless you. Great to be with us. Well, what I normally say, it's great to be here, but at my age, it's good to be anywhere, really, isn't it? Um, are your football team playing today? Oh, oh, oh so, so you're looking for a miracle then. Um, Yes, you did. You'll add one of you. Um, <laughs> leadership is a funny, is a funny uh, seminar, really, because I've done many of these over the years. Uh, what is a leader? And I do do a seminar on what is a leader, because a lot of people today say they're leaders and they're not. And a lot of people don't think they are, and they are. First of all, an obvious one is a leader is a person who follows you. If they don't, you're not a leader. A leader is somebody who goes out before people. And if you don't, you're not a leader. Jesus said, follow me. He didn't say, do what I tell you. He said, follow me. A leader is a person who has fully qualified as a servant. Jesus said, if you aspire to be a leader, then you must be a servant, not to those who can promote you, but to all. A leader is a person who doesn't need a badge for people to identify them or a title. Many of us in our insecure years have needed that. And um, some of us who have been around a long time in denominations have been told that we must insist on that or familiarity will breed contempt. In Christian circles, not much breeds anyway, so it's good to have something to breed, isn't it? A leader person is a person who's touched with the infirmities of other people. If you really want to know who a leader is, just read it, the lifestyle of Jesus. Because if we aspire to be a leader, he's far, by far the greatest. Of course, in Joshua, uh, the Lord and the people asked one thing out of him, and that he'd be courageous. He'd be bold. Not bolshy, not rude, not aggressive, bold. 
be strong and of good courage, said the Lord. And the people said, we'll follow you, but be strong and of good courage. A leader should admit when he's wrong, but if he's wrong all the time, he shouldn't be a leader. When David went away, um, his men killed a man who was the guest of the king. And when he came back, he said, why did you do that for? They said, because we knew he wasn't good, and they killed him. And the first thing David said was to the people, it wasn't my fault I wasn't there. And that's true. That's legally true. They would not have convicted him in court. But he was morally responsible. We've got quite a blessed church, and I go around the world preaching in 20 different denominations, and they eulogize, and I'm the one they wheel out. But when things go wrong in the church, I'm the one who stands up and takes the flack. You can't have one without the other. You can't, you can't be, you are the leader of the church when you're going around the world to all the big venues, but you're not the leader of the church when one of your men commits adultery. You can't be the head of your home when you've got a good income, your wife's got a good income, and your kids aren't in trouble, but you're not the head of the home, and it all goes pear-shaped. Like your son-in-law who's an evangelist runs off and becomes a criminal, which happened with my daughter. You're still the head of the home. And you've got your daughter standing on the street with a baby and nowhere to go. And he's just stole £9,000 from your home. You're still the head of the home then. You're still the leader. If you never apologize, people know you're arrogant and they'll know they can't follow you because you're never wrong. So if you always apologize, you shouldn't be a leader. And if you never apologize, you've disqualified yourself from being a leader. Because David, it says, when he came to the funeral, would not be quieted and he started to sob. And they said, had to take some food. He said, how can I when such a great man has died? And the people saw him cry and they, and it pleased them. Cut me and I bleed. I had a day like that when everything went wrong. All in one week. We have a healing ministry and we've been praying for the sick now for, for 30 years, but we've had a prayer meeting with about 700 people every Tuesday for nine years. We don't advertise it. We deliberately didn't go on television because we didn't want people to come all around the world because it wasn't a show. Our attitude was, if God can do it here, he can do it where you are. And he'll, he'll, he'll bring people who need to come. We don't need to go bananas and, and invade the whole... You see, I'm a pastor, unlike a lot of people. I'm a pastor for 38 years. And if I get people coming from all around the world, parking their cars on other people's drives, I destroy the witness of my church in the area. You might be surprised to know that Pensacola, the outcome of Pensacola was everybody in the area hates the church. And that church now doesn't have a witness to its area. It has a witness to the world, or shall I say to the charismatic world, but it doesn't have it to the area because the people were sick to death of people abusing their car parking spaces, invading their grounds, and lying all over their grass gardens, twitching and vomiting. After 38 years in my town, my job is to win the town, not to get 2,000 charismatics flying in from Budapest. I'd rather people seek God and have their own move in Budapest. That's just my view. Who am I? So some charismatics, they go around the world following stuff just like Disney World. Hoping they can transfer it, package it and bring it back and two twitches later they've got it. Doesn't last. If it was only that cheap, we'd all catch a plane ride. 
ain't that cheap. You might get the manifestation, but you don't get the spirit. That doesn't come by, by a cheap day return by Erlingus. If you seek me and search for me with all your heart, I will be found of you. Well, don't you think by now we'd have bottled it and sold it? Doesn't happen that way. You might get a temporary pick-me-up, but you don't get a stay-me-up. Very few churches have been transformed long-term. And so, you have to admit when you're wrong. But if you're always wrong, you're not a leader. And if you're never wrong, you're not a leader. Now, I had one of those weeks where we get lots of people healed. Lots of people saved. Started 38 years ago with four people, so I know where it is to have a small church. We've got about 2,000 now. And we've got, we've got um, a network with 90, 90, 99 pastors. Churches over Europe, and um, I oversee. I'm one of the overseers of my denomination, and honorary bishop in the Anglican Church, and all the other fancy titles of apostle and prophet, which I'm thrown at me everywhere I go. So um, my business card is six foot by four foot at the moment. <laughs> well, my name's Dave. That's who I am. My young man who couldn't read and write until he got born again. Just in case you think I'm too clever. But I had a week when my wife was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, which is a horrible disease. It's like arthritis of the muscles. So my wife is in pain spasms most days from head to foot. And the devil comes to you and he says, so how, how have you got a healing ministry if your wife's sick? And I said, the two are not associated, dummy, so shove off. I don't do the healing, God does. I'm just obedient, I just pray for who he tells me to pray for. But I find a lot of people who have uh, front ed uh, ministry seem to have a lot of illnesses around them. And uh, I'm too long in the tooth now, having been filled with the Spirit for 40 years, to go into my mother's genealogy, my wife's genealogy, and take her right the way through to a carpenter or a plumber or a mason. I'm too long in the tooth now to go through generational curses and everything else. I just know my wife loves Jesus very much and she ain't done nothing wrong to get this sickness. So uh, some of us have moved on from some of that. We're far deeper in the faith. Um, and on that week I got my wife who, who was saying, is it wrong to ask Jesus to take me home? Because I don't know where the pain's coming from. Because there's so much. So that was the start of the week. And then my worship leader... Uh, was deported, which brought my, um, my musical department of 100 people in total disarray because he was just grabbed by immigration and kicked out of the country for being an illegal immigrant. <laughs> so that wasn't very good. And then my daughter went to the hospital and they diagnosed her with pre-cancer and kidney failure. Can you sense a tad of Job here? And then my brother, my elder brother, who's great man of God, he used to be over 17 hospitals and he came and sat in my office on a Saturday morning as I was preparing some study, nice and quiet in my office in the church and he came in and he sat down and he said um, I've got some bad news for you I thought oh haven't I had bad news with my wife and my daughter who's only 30 one kidney failed, 
pre-cancer. Wife with fibromyalgia. Worship leader being deported. 100 worship people in bits, and I've got to face them tomorrow and explain what's going on. And now you brought me bad news. He said, yes, he said, your youngest daughter, 21, who's been in the church all her life, been going out with a young boy in the church that she's known since he was 10. He was an evangelist. He said, she's pregnant. Now, you don't know me, but before I was a Christian, I had an uncontrollable temper. I used to take people out. If anybody was rude to me, I'd just slap them, men or women. I wouldn't allow people being rude to me. I'd just slap them. Wallop. And um, when I first met my wife, she was acutely jealous. She used to follow me around in a taxi. And, and God you know, cured her of that. She couldn't afford it anymore. She had to stop it down. Um, <laughs> Well, she'd come from a very poor background. She'd never had anything new till she was 16. Her dad was a bigamist and ran away, stole her brother six weeks old and ran back up to Yorkshire where she didn't even know. She got a brother until she was 45 and in one day God found her her brother. She comes from a very, very, very poor background. So my wife hadn't got anything really. I bought her when I was 16. I met her. She was 16, I was 17, and I bought her the first pair of shoes new she'd ever had in her life. And um, she'd known that young man since she was 10. They always say, always go around with Christians, don't they? What I didn't know was my daughter had got herself pregnant, and my wife had found the next day she was going to go and have an abortion, not that she approved of abortion, but she felt that she had so let down the father she loved who was a pastor. She couldn't allow her life to destroy her dad. And my wife found the appointment. My wife hadn't seen me have to confront anything bad since I got born again and spirit-filled, so she only remembers what I was like and she said oh she said when your dad finds out he's going to take the lad out it's the last memory my wife had of me and my, she found my brother what a terrible thing this was three years ago found my brother and said to him when David finds out and, and the guy she's going out with is a weightlifter she said don't matter Muslim might be 60 he'll take him out I remember what he was like when we were young he was unbelievable so I got my broken nose and my brother said he's not like that anymore he's not like that anymore she said he's never been tested he said he's not like that anymore isn't it good when people see leadership in you that you don't see in yourself because I'm sitting at my desk and he says, your daughter's pregnant. And I just sit there and tears run down my face. And I said, I can do no more. I've loved her. She's 21. I can do no more. And I'll never stop loving her. And he said, that's un I knew you'd say that. And then he told me what my wife had said and I sobbed. I said, is that how she still remembers me? Is that how she remembers me? 
I went home and saw my daughter and she lay in my arms and cried. And rather than taking the lad out and beating him up, I took him out for a meal. To ask him why as a Christian this had happened. They got married, but did everything right. Then when I'm preaching in Antigua, as a weightlifter, he then becomes a bodybuilder and he takes steroids, it goes absolutely bananas for the brain and becomes a criminal. Gets in with ganglands, those have got shooters and everything. Serving suspended prison centres now, way away from God. So I'm the only man in my granddaughter's life now. I'm her special granddad. Now how does a leader, how does a leader deal with that? Well, I only know one form of leadership and that's honesty. And so I stood up there the next day, the church was full, wasn't it? We have two services on a Sunday morning. One in the afternoon, one at night. I just got up there and I said, have you ever had a bad week? I said, we pastors get bad weeks, you know. I said, my, my wife's been diagnosed with an incurable illness. She's in pain 24-7. My daughter Melanie has got pre-cancer and one kidney's gone. Our worship leader's been deported back to Australia, where the first lot were sent to. <laughs> sent another one back there. And my daughter Lucy, who's not here this morning, is pregnant. I gave them background on each one and I said, my daughter has done wrong. She's repented. She will walk in this church next week. You will not make a fuss of her as if she has not sinned, but you will not reject her because she sinned, because she's repented. She will not hide the ball. She will not be put away. She will not be taken away. And when that baby is born, I will love it with all my heart. And then I burst out sobbing in the pulpit. The elders came and embraced me as I had a standing ovation for 10 minutes. People were cheering. People who were visiting the church, because we have visitors from all over the world, started crying. They were saying things like, if that was our church, it would have been swept under the carpet. Would never have been told that. Others were saying, he trusts you like a family, doesn't he? Others said, if we lived in this town, we'd come to this church. We feel clean and safe. How can a pastor tell you his personal details and trust you and they cheered and they cheered and they cheered as the elders held me at my most vulnerable time now I tend to think that's leadership where the people know you're not better than them you're not distant from them you just have a responsibility in God to lead them and communicate with them. You just have a call on your life or you're obeying a call of the vision. Now for leadership to actually work, we've got to be anointed. Now, anointed means to smear upon, to be set aside for, and to be poured upon. 
to be smeared on, to be washed and set aside for, and to be poured upon. All the degrees and all the theological background could be good, but unless the hand of God is on you, the breath of God is on you, and the voice of God's upon you, it ain't going to happen. You could be more anointed as an illiterate person under the anointing than you can with a double degree without it. But if you are double degreed and you get it, you're dangerous. Because education and anointing do work. There is no bliss in being ignorant. I couldn't read or write till I was born again. In two years I could read through reading the Bible. In five years I could do maths in my head. And in ten years I was one of the top business people in my field in the whole of Britain. I believe if you're going to be in leadership and full-time leadership, you should step down into leadership so that you are giving up something greater to be a leader. If you have to step up to be a leader, I shudder to think what type of job you did before you became a leader. I gave up a quarter of a million pound a year to become a pastor. If becoming a full-time leader actually solves a lot of your problems, I don't know what you were in before. Now that doesn't have to mean you earned a lot of money, but you must have been successful. Jesus never booked a leader who was on the dole. He never had a leader who thought he'd go to theological college because he couldn't think what to do. If you notice the people he picked, they were all actively involved and successful in their job when he called them. And when he went to look for extra workers, the story says, he went to the marketplace and these people weren't sitting around doing nothing. They normally should have gone home three or four hours ago because they didn't get the job for the day. But these men says, we're going to stop here in the burning sun until we get a job because we have a will to work. And Jesus said, good grief, these men still want to work and took them on. Dare I say it, that a lot of full-time Christian leaders are the laziest bunch of people I've met in my life. I don't know how come they can get away with it. My leaders in my church, they're, in, they're allowed, they work a five-day week, but the rest of the week they are in, no fail, ten to nine, for devotions, and they don't go home until it's tea time. And they work. And I want to know where they are at any given time in case I need them. So I'll go to the diary book and I'll say, where is he? Where's my pastor? Where's my evangelist? Where's my... Where are they? Who are they with? What are they doing? Because we must be accountable. If they're studying, let them study. If they're visiting, let them visit. Two leaders visit the same person in a week. That is not right. One will cover it for both. Come on. God's money. Work it out. <sighs> Glad I'm not a leader in your church. Well, perhaps you'd be fulfilled if you were. Because we have to analyse what we're doing because we're about the Lord's business and we have to decide if we're running our ministry and it's not growing, why isn't it? If we're producing worship music and it's not touching the people, why isn't it? If we're dealing with the debt people in debt, we have a full debt department, full-time debt department, we feed the poor, we, we do furniture in. If the poor aren't being fed, if the prisoners aren't being visited, we want to know why. If the sick in hospital aren't getting visited, Why? And we treat our volunteers exactly the same. You're not doing God a favour if you can give him one night a week, you know, from your busy life. Oh, God, God really is chuffed about that. 
See, leadership is not a function in the church, it's a lifestyle. I've just done, um, I'm just in the middle of a, of a series at the moment, which I'm going to touch on for you now. Give you an overview of 23 weeks, I'm up to 24 weeks next week. And I, I don't suppose I'll finish much before a year. This last, last series would have taken a year to preach. I did 36 weeks on the return of the glory to the, to the church. And when I was chatting beforehand, what's the cost of revival? I don't really know. Because this fictitious, mysterious, mystic revival we're all looking for hasn't come yet. So we're still paying it. And as much as I read the Bible, actually, the word revival is hardly ever alluded to. The reason being is revival is not when the world gets saved. That's normality. When Jesus said, you see, he sent the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Many of us sitting here being filled with the Spirit. He can't do more than that. When the church actually has a passion for the lost and goes out and reaches it in every way it can, actually, you will think you're in revival. What will happen is you will be normal church. People will get saved, added to the church daily. People will get healed. Because that's normality. That's not revival. See, the word revive means to bring back to a state as to what it once was. Now, the world have never been at that state. So revival has nothing to do with the non-Christian. It's to do with the church getting back to where it should be. Now, I want to know why we're praying and waiting for that when God says at any moment you can start living a life that pleases me. See, if it's happening in the church in the next town to you and it's not happening to you, what's special about them and not for you? Why is it happening there and not your place? Have they got better gimmicks? Have they got better, you know, better electronics? What have they got? What is it? People don't, don't understand that when there's a revival, inverted commas, it doesn't touch every church and every village and every person. When Toronto was on, do you know churches two blocks away didn't even know Toronto was going on? And the only reason everybody else did is because it was on television. Some of my friends got lost two blocks away and said, can you tell me where the airport church is, please? I said, why? They said, there's a big revival going on. I said, we've not heard of it. And that was a church two blocks away. This mysticism we have that when revival comes, every pub will close, every gambling, every, every pole dancing place will finish. Folks, keep thinking, it ain't going to happen. Not going to happen. That's not negativeness. It's not going to happen. You go to Africa, I go to a church in Africa that's got one million people in the church. But the nation's got 50 million people, so where's the other 49 million going? If you want to go for big churches, go to Korea. But their government are as corrupt as anybody else. Now, I'm not being negative. What I'm saying is, you're not going to get this euphoric revival where people are all lying in the streets, all the music stops, and the Prime Minister gets born again and starts tap dancing and a charismatic walk in the middle of the street. It ain't going to happen. So my attitude is, why wait for a thing that's not going to happen when I can see God do something that could happen? See, God is prepared to bless those who seek him. Remember Mary. Mary, Mary. Mary didn't make much contribution in the Bible. She didn't say much, and if she did, it wasn't recorded. But one of the greatest things she ever said was, whatever he tells you to do, do it. It was a fantastic thing, great leadership thing. I get everybody in my church to put that in the front of their Bible. 
then put Mary. So if they get knocked over, they go to hospital, they send a Catholic priest in. <laughs> ah, this Mary herself. Nothing wrong with that, you know. The Catholics sometimes are venerated too much, and the Pentecostals never talk about her. But the Bible says she was highly exalted amongst women. And she says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Have you asked the question, how did she know he could do a miracle when he'd never done one before? Or is it only me asking those questions? How did she know he could do a miracle? He'd never done one before, ever. She knew his character. She brought him up. She knew he was the son of God. I mean, he's 30 and he's never done a miracle. And she says, son, do a miracle for me. Only a mom can know that. Only a mom can understand because a mom knows the heart of a son. Only we can know the heart of God without ever seeing it before. God, you can do this because I know you. See, a leader is somebody who has the heart of God and can understand what God can do. Not, you know, by faith. I'm making a faith statement. No, 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 no. Sometimes that's just presumptuous rubbish. It's because I know him. Paul says that I may, and the power of his, but I must be conformed to his suffering. You know him. You know him. Son, I, she already knew what miracle she wanted. They've run out of wine. What's that to do with me, woman? My time is not yet. See, it might not be his time to bless Bolton. It might never be his time to bless Bolton. But she says, I'm sorry, Bolton's got a problem. You can do it. What a marvellous statement. It's not my time for Bolton. But you can do it. But because of the relationship, he went, all right then, I'll bring the time forward a bit. Did the miracle. And then went back to what he should have been doing. What about the woman who come, the Gentile woman? My child's dying. Why should I give bread and meat to the dogs? Jesus was very compassionate. He made me look absolutely soft. I mean, how would you have left the church if you'd have come up and said, Huh, I don't give meat to the dogs. It's a lovely way of greeting someone, isn't it? And she said, but even puppies eat the scraps. Oh, he said, sweetie, I like you. I will bring my miracle to the Gentiles forward. He did a miracle. What about the Samaritan woman? One day, the Messiah will come to you Jews. If you knew I was a Samaritan and a prostitute, you wouldn't talk to me. He said, not only do I know you're a Samaritan and a prostitute, you've had five husbands and the man you're living with isn't your own. Is that correct? <laughs> yes. He said, oh, I just feel like giving you a miracle. Out of your belly shall come rivers of living water. And so before a time, she received a miracle. Folks, when we as a leadership are in relationship with God, God will do for us something we don't deserve at the time that it is not now. Because I don't know about you, I'm 63 and I can't wait until I'm 94 for God to pour his spirit out because I might be dead by then. So I'm not prepared to sit there and just wait for this, I don't want to offend you, 
a pure Calvinistic spirit to take over so that God knows exactly the day he's going to pour his spirit over Bolton and I can do anything I like, but it won't happen until then. Sorry, if you seek me with all your heart, I will be found of you. But it comes to obedience, which often brings sacrifice. There is a cost. I hear people so wonderfully trying to preach the gospel. Salvation is free. Isn't it? Where do you get that from? The Bible doesn't teach salvation is free. Jesus said, if you want to be a Christian, you can't buy what I can give you. I've died on the cross to forgive you. However, you've got to take up your cross and you've got to follow me. You've got to forsake all others and follow me. That's not free. What he meant to say is, there ain't no money in the world that can buy it. Because it's priceless. Jesus sacrificed all to save us and we sacrifice all to receive it. I speak to leaders nowadays, they don't know what sacrifice is, not being rude. I have lovely women in my church who says, I'd love my husband to be a leader in this church but he's not going to go through what you and your wife have been through. Not prepared to do that. I say, that's fine, then don't get disgruntled when I don't use him or you. Because I can't have people who can fit me in in between their caravaning and canoeing. Hello? But I don't want anybody who's never going to see his kids. Because I paid that stupid price because my denomination told me you put God before your family. Well, then don't have kids. They didn't ask to come into the world. That will never happen now with my granddaughter. My granddaughter wants to come and see me now, and, I've got, and I'm talking to you in counselling. I say, just a minute, bring her in. My secretary brings her in. Sit on my knee. How are you going, pops? What you been doing at school? What you been doing? Draw me a picture. That's wonderful. Then I say, come, daddy. Granddad's busy now. Love you. Kiss her, and off she goes. Well, my daughter comes in. She's running out of money. She's a single mum. And I say, just a minute. Yeah, I love. There we are. Love you, babe. And I go back in. And rather than the people being offended because I've cut in with them, they start crying. Wish my dad had done that to me. I say, well, before you think I'm a great dad, I never did it to my daughter. I'm now doing it with my granddaughter. I've learnt the lesson. I'm not the best dad. I'm just a dad who's been given a second chance. And my kids have forgiven me for never being there for them, but being there for somebody else's kids. Because I didn't want to lose them from the church. Am I talking real language here? There has to be sacrifice. But there has to be sacrifice that you are prepared to pay jointly with your partner if your partner is not prepared to take it you can't take it on your own and there's a lot of Christians who lovely Christians try to stop you making that sacrifice don't they Jesus is saying I must go to the cross and Peter goes oh no nay nay King James verse oh no nay no I won't let you go nay no and he was appealing to the, fresh, fresh of, to the flesh of Christ, which was very responsive because Jesus didn't want to in the flesh die. He said, Father, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me, but if not, thy will be done. Jesus, in his humanity, had to battle through in the garden because he was 100% man and 100% God. So he was playing to his humanity and could have got through to him and Jesus said, get me behind me, Satan. He didn't say, come out your foul spirit. He wasn't demon-possessed. He was just listening to Satan saying, if you really love Jesus, you won't let him die. 
Some of the biggest pitfalls of Christians, aren't they? Don't you love them? Don't you have to love them? Don't you wish you could love them? I mean, look at John the Baptist. The greatest prophet ever to come out of a woman's womb. That's a quiz for you, that is. Who's the greatest prophet? None greater than Jean the Baptiste. The man who went around in camel hair and ate wild locusts and honey. You wouldn't drop him on him while he was having his tea and wreck it, would you? Oh, would you like some locusts? Grab one and get one. Oh. That's the only pastor I know people didn't invade him during meal times. Oh, have a locust. I love a locust. Especially those with the wiggly wings. Dip them in the honey and see them crunch, crunch, crunch. Beautiful. And Jesus said he wasn't what you expect from a preacher, was he? He didn't bend with the wind and he was the man who was there in the latest style and whatever the wind of change is, he moved. He said, no. Man in a in, in camel coat and he still got the hump on his back. Forgot to take it off. Man who had wild honey and he said he was totally unpromotable for his own TV show. But there's no greater than him. And he used to baptize, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Great man. And then he sees Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I'm talking about. It's pretty good. What a leader. Hundreds of people come out to his meetings. Good leader. And then he gets into his false humility bit. See, we can either be proud or falsely humble as a leader. Proud, well, I don't know if I could go there. That's a bit above my status. I've, I've grown from that now. I don't go to little things like that. Oh, I see. Or, oh, I could never go there. I'm not good enough. Oh, my God, here we go. Jesus had to put up with both of those. Moses, ah, that's why it took 40 years to get through. He couldn't get his... And Jesus said, have you finished yet? He said, look, I know you stammer. That's why I'm using you. Because you're not exactly going to boast about your eloquence. And Jesus got angry with him. Because Jesus was the voice in the burning bush, as you know. Because he says, Jesus, they said, who are you? He said, I am. He said, before Abraham was, I am. And when he asked who the voice was, it was, I am. Jesus was the voice in the burning bush in his pre-incarnate state. And he was also the fourth member in the fiery furnace. He was always around. It's just he hadn't got a body. Oh, aren't we silly people? John the Baptist comes now. He says, Jesus says, you must baptize me so I can fulfill all righteousness. So John's stopping Jesus fulfilling righteousness. That wasn't his intention. Oh, nay, here he goes again. Oh, no, nay, I cannot baptize thee. Oh, no, nay. I'm not worthy to undo your sandals. And oh, we go again, says Jesus. Where do I get these people from? He must look at us as leaders and think, where did I get them from? He lets him go through. He said, have you finished yet? Oh, no, no, you should baptize me. And there's Peter. Oh, don't wash my feet. Wash me all over. Wash me all over. Oh, Peter, you, only your feet smell. Come on. Don't let's have a crisis on this. And these are the leaders. We've come from them. People say, I wish I was like the early apostolic church. You are. You're suffering from smelly feet, half of you. It's true, aren't they? Stupid, aren't they? And Jesus said, I must fulfill all righteousness. 
Oh, that'd shut him up, didn't it? I've got to do things right. How about Agabus? Whoever this, whoever this belt belongs to will die. Don't go. Good job we, if we hear from God. If we just, do you know thing that frightens me as leaders? I won't say this in the public meeting. It'll destroy them. Most prophecies that people give you are totally false. That's coming from a man who's been in the prophetic from the day I was born again. A man who's seen miracles happen. I'm not saying this to boast. A man who speaks in ten known languages in tongues. And people get saved. Just listen to me speaking in tongues. I've had a girl delivered of demons, saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking over it for 20 minutes in her language, not even knowing where she was from. And I go around and I listen to people prophesy, and a lot of it is total wishful thinking. And the amount of people you know are out of the faith now through disappointed in God because the prophecy never came true. And there was no chance in God's heaven it was ever going to come true. We've got to watch what comes out of our mouth. In the Old Testament, you'd have been stoned to death. You can't allow people just turning around and saying, now everybody prophesy over each other. I won't allow that in my church. It's dangerous. People go to seminars, I'm going to teach you how to prophesy. No, no, you first prophesy to God. Then when you've got that right, you prophesy to man. You don't start by saying, oh, I've got a word for you, I've got a word for you, brother. Unless he's a mature man, which I know this man is, I just sense it, he will, he will go and act on what you've done because they think everything that comes out of your mouth is just said the Lord. No. I teach my people first to prophesy to God. What do I mean? Oh, you who made the heavens and the earth. Oh, you who are majestic in all his ways. All power and glory is unto you. Just try doing that for a bit. Start directing your prophecies towards God, your prophetic words. You see, there's a difference between a prophet and prophecy. There's two different, totally, totally different giftings. Shouldn't even have the same type of name because it confuses people. You ain't a prophet because you prophesy. Paul says, I wished you all prophesied. But the prophecies that he gave wasn't, you're going to have a baby, God's told me you're going to have a baby. What happens if she doesn't have a baby? She's out of the faith. She thinks God's let her down, it was you. No. It's testable. I've had 38 totally medically proven barren women all have babies. And if you're wrong, you're wrong. And what does God gives me with those, and it didn't come straight away, was I go to a woman and I say, November next year. And not December or October, November she has the baby. I say, June. You'll have a girl. You'll have a boy, don't I? Give them the dates, don't I? It happens. And they say back to me, the doctor said it was an impossibility. I've had them. That's when you know if you're a false or true prophet. So if it doesn't happen, it's you to blame, not her. You have to apologize saying, I got it wrong, forgive me. Don't hear many prophets do that. They blame them. You didn't apply it well. Your faith wasn't there. They never turn around and say, I fouled it up, it was me. So a lot of people get disillusioned with the Holy Spirit because of cranky prophecies. Because nobody really knows how to prophesy. Now, word of knowledge, that's pretty strong, isn't it? What you say to somebody is either right or wrong. If you go to somebody and say, your father left home when you were seven, and her father's still at home, that's right or wrong, isn't it? 
You had diabetes when you were only 16. God wants to heal you today. Is that true? Yeah? I go into buildings, don't I? I go into buildings where I don't even know the people. I'm Christians and I tell them the life story. Waitresses come to me. And, and all the Christians with me now say, can we order before you tell her a story? <laughs> now who knows? That is right and wrong. But if you tell somebody that of a baby in the next five years, she won't know for five years. And by then it's too late. She didn't, she didn't go and have the medical treatment because she thought if she had the medical treatment, she'd be coming out of faith. You tell her husband's not going to die and he dies of cancer. Where does that leave him? You've got to be very careful when you spout your mouth off. Very careful. And you must always say to people, I could be wrong, would you like to go and test this? Not thus saith the Lord, yea, I am the Lord and I say to you, you're not the Lord and you're not saying to them. That screws up something that some of us have tried to get right for years. Not because the people are evil, but because they're ignorant. And then ignorant leaders teach them ignorant things because they were taught in ignorance. You know, abused parents abuse their kids or abuse their kids only because they were taught how to abuse. And abused leaders abuse people who abuse leaders and become abusive leaders. Because if you don't know anything, if you go to a church and you want to, and you want to pray and you hear a man get up in an old English and he goes, yay, I am the Lord, yay. You get up and go, yay, I am the Lord. And, and I go in 20 denominations and I hear them prophesy and I can tell you exactly what stream they're in and what version of the Bible they read. Because you prophesy according to the version of the Bible you read. So if you read the Message Bible, it's, hi, God, it's Billy here. Great day today, isn't it? Because you use the word as you read it to speak it back out. So I know exactly what versions of the Bible they read and I know when people don't read it at all. Because they've got no theology at all. Is this making sense? Rather than preaching to you. Rather than talking about Nehemiah, I can talk about him any time. You can, buy the, you, can, you can go on the podcast and get them free. Whole 23 weeks, that'll keep you going until you die. Fantastic studies changing our church, that is. So we've got to be obedient. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Let me tell you what Jesus received by being an obedient leader. Number one, I must be fulfilled all righteousness so he was obedient. Okay, say with me obedience. Try that again, say your obedience. obedience. Right. Now he stepped in the water of Jordan and we're not going to go, oh, we're going to die. No, no. But Jordan is symbolic of death. There has to come a time when the, the I and the me gives way to the he. Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus, who learned to submit to Father, had all authority given to him. And I find a leader who lives into submission to Christ has more authority than the person who tries to hold on to it. Shall I say that again? I find that a leader who's learned to submit to Christ has more authority than a person who tries to hold on to it. Before in my previous denomination, I was in my previous denomination for 50 years. I was a Pentecostal. And before I had any office at all in that movement, the, the executive used to come to me and say, will you go and close that church for us? And will you go and open that church for us? And I used to say as a younger man, I don't have any authority. And they said, hey, we can give you position. Only God can give you authority. You've already got that. We can't give you position at the moment, but go and do it. And I used to go and close churches, open churches, step people down from ministry, and I had no office. Then I became a leader in the movement. And because I'd never come from anything, I'd never been able to read and write until God changed my life, you go, oh, God, wouldn't it be lovely if one day I was a leader? One day I was a leader. 
And when you come and lead, you think only one day I was a person. And they call me and they say, we want you to take over the whole movement and be the leader, the Führer, mein Führer. And I went, and I laughed. And they said, what are you laughing? I said, no way, I'm a pastor at Soul Hill. Thank you, walked out. On the way up the motorway, the Lord says, thank you, son, that you don't look in for position. Now I want you to leave the Pentecostal church, not because it's wrong, but I want to bring a new outpouring as it was 300 years ago in the Methodist church. I want you to become a Methodist. And I almost swerved up the motorway. I thought, God, you're joking. And he said, I don't joke. I'm full of humor, but I don't joke. I thought, I don't know, I'm going to cope. He said, no, no, that's what they're going to be saying. <laughs> well, God did three incredible miracles to confirm that I should. They were outstanding miracles like you just couldn't believe what God did. And so I moved. And it was strange. But rather than saying the Pentecostals joined us, they turned around and said, you're just like the early Wesleyans. We've been praying that the Holy Spirit would come back. And wherever we go now, isn't it? They're just like... <laughs> transforming them. I've only been there six years now, and I, and, I, and I help run their movement now. God told me, yes, you can take that, and now I'm an overseer for the, for the country and for Europe. It's obedience. From 7 to 57, the Pentecostal, all my friends were there, everything. Now, I didn't go on a whim... First of all, I had a, a scripture, open up all wells. Jacob opened up all wells. Then I didn't tell anybody. Then I kept it in my heart. Then God sent me three most devastating things. I was preaching at a conference with Jack Hayford's associate. He doesn't know me from Adam. And he said, Brother Carl, he said, I don't do much into prophecy, but while you're preaching tonight, God tells me something to tell you. I've got to check it. Are you Pentecostal? I said, yes. He said, God says you're going to leave and open up an old well and revival's coming. All right. I said, have you ever heard of the Free Methodist Church of North America? He said, oh, yes, is that an old Methodist church? He said, had revival once, he said, but they went into legalism and lost it. I said, yeah, God told me to join them. Wow. I then go to the next conference the next day in Wales, and the head of the South African Assemblies of God comes a day early. He should come a day after me. We were tag preaching. And he sat in the balcony at my last meeting, and he said, Brother Carr, I don't know you at all. He said, come here breakfast before you go. And he said, listen, God spoke to me while you were preaching. He said, I've got to ask you this question to see if I'm right. Are you Pentecostal? I said, yes. Oh, he said, that's right then. God's told me you're going to leave and join an old denomination and revival's coming. I'm getting the hint now. Going a bit thick, takes a long time. So I come back on the Sunday and I'm sitting on the front row here ready to be called up to preach. When an ex-monk who got saved under my ministry and then he, he quit monastic orders, goes to a church in the town, came and sat by the side of me. He said, I'm not stopping for the service. I'm not disturbing you. He said, but you've been asking God for a sign, haven't you? He's given you two already, hasn't he? I went, yeah. He said, the Lord told me to come and tell you this. Read John 4, where he sat by an old well and gave new water to a woman and you'll know what to do with it and walked out. Now that's prophetic. So there has to come an obedience to die. Could be for promotion in your job, for your kid to go to a red brick university because you've always wanted your kid to follow you and do what you couldn't. You want him to go to Durham, but you know very well by moving there, they'll backslide. Send them to a university which is going to keep them spiritual, not that's going to give a fancy diploma. Something has to die. 
Don't tell me you're a leader and it doesn't cost you anything. So Jesus stands in the water, but only die to what God tells you to and not what somebody else tells you to. You can't do surrogate dying. He stood in the water. Obedience. Number two, the heavens opened. When you are obedient as a leader over your little church, over your little town, you watch how the heavens will open. You see, when it's an open heaven, Pastor Dave, come and tell us how the miracles happen. I don't know. I'm under an open heaven. Heavens as brass, open heaven. Number three, God endorsed him. This is my son in whom I am well pleased hear him. Have you ever wondered why so many people listen to Billy Graham? Billy Graham is 90 next month. And Billy Graham in his last crusade had 220,000 people turn up. Billy Graham can fill any football stadium in this country with a week's notice. Where you struggle to get 10 people into your alpha course, he could come here next week in a wheelchair and he would fill the Reebok Stadium. No effort. Anybody who listens to him, he preaches the same sermons he preached 50 years ago. He hasn't altered it at all. He's not a deep theologian. Do you know why they come? Because when God endorses what you're doing, he draws the crowds. Who drew the crowds on the day of Pentecost? When you're under the voice of God, people turn up to listen to you. I don't know why I go to church of 2000, a guy who, who hadn't got a single GCSE. And I don't know why every week I say to people, do you know last week, we're a town, we're a town of 97% white and we've got 52 nations in the church. Where do they come from? We're a town, we're not a city, we're a town. And last week we had people in from Iraq, from Iran, from Sweden. Where do they come from? All because God said to me, will you reach out to the nations from a little white town outside of Birmingham? They come from Zimbabwe, they come from Kenya, they come from Uganda, they come from Zaire, they come from Congo, Korea, Japan, Argentina. Esta la vista, baby. We have them from everywhere. We've got all the flags up in the church. We don't put adverts in, we don't advertise. They're just walking. We're getting Hindus and Sikhs coming in, getting healed and saved week after week. We baptised two Sikhs last week. They catch planes from Germany and just turn up to the church. Sick Hindus. Don't even know Jesus. We don't advertise in the Hindu community. They just come. Why? Because God said, hear him. And God can say that over your, over your ministry, over your town, over your, over your parish church, over your Pentecostal church, over your United Reform. He can do that over your ministry. Better than any advertising. We... We've been going for nine years and God, television and the rest wanted to put us on and we went, no thank you. We still have seven, eight hundred people there every week after nine years, not 180 days, nine years. Oh, we could have thousands if we want to go on television. I'm not saying it's wrong to. No way, we don't need to. God will send there who he wants there. People flying from Ireland, they're flying all over the place, they come in, Pastor Dave. Can we have 10 minutes with you before the meeting? Yeah, yeah, of course you can. Where you come from? Bring babies, everything. We're very humbled. Not all get healed, some die. But you know, we've never had a letter yet where the person hasn't said their lives were transformed by coming. You should have seen the way they died. Victorious. A leader doesn't have to apologize when it doesn't work. I don't have to apologize if somebody dies. It's not my fault. 
but I must be giving them something before they die to take them into the next life. Yes, that's the compassion bit. And then the Holy Spirit came upon him as a dove. Oh, how wonderful. You ain't going to do nothing without the Holy Spirit. Now, to finish off, let's go from Jesus to the day of Pentecost. Number one, tarry in Jerusalem, obedience. Oh, have you heard that somewhere before? Say obedience. obedience. Say obedience. obedience. Say it's better than sacrifice. See, doing what you're told is better than doing what you want that costs you more. I don't want to do that, Lord, but I'll sacrifice that instead. God says, sorry, that's all I ask for. Obedience. Number two, unity. Say unity. Unity. Unity will always bring power, for good or bad. Hitler was in unity and almost destroyed the world. Unity brings power, be it for good or bad. That's why when they were building the Tower of Babel, God says, we better get down there. Is there anything they cannot do? You see, if you've got unity in your church, if you've got unity in your ministry, if you've got unity in your marriage, if you've got unity in your finances, nothing is going to stop you getting to where you want to go. If you've got unity... I was in football for 21 years. I missed that bit out. I was in football for 21 years. I was based in Manchester but lived in Birmingham. I used to be a director for the Professional Footballers Association and I used to manage all the players all around here. I used to come up to Bolton. I used to come up Man United, Man City, all the whole lot. I used to come there, manage the whole lot. 700 of the top footballers. I used to manage Robson, Brian Robson and Andy Gray. I managed all those. Now, Newcastle United is a classic example. The same team that held Man United to a draw and now being stuffed by anybody. Do you know why? Because Owen said in the last interview, we do not believe in ourselves anymore. If Keegan came back next week, they'd win the next match. Do you know why? Unity. No unity, division, defeat. Unity brings victory. True or false? Now, if evil unity brings victory, because Hitler, if he hadn't attacked German, Russia, wouldn't have lost. What happens if churches, which never seem to get it, only dwelt together and didn't come out of that room until we had genuine unity and not this after you, my brother. No, after you, my brother. I'm in submission to you. No, I'm in submission. Oh, stop that rubbish. Get up and do what you've got to do. Now, we're in unity, but we tell each other the truth. You're a bit off mark today, Dave. You know, okay. Well, that was all right, but it was a bit iffy. Yeah. Not always. Oh, if you do anything like that again, you can't come out with me again. Oh, get it. Life. Christians are some of the most touchy people I've ever known. That's some of the most miserable, rude people I've ever met. That proves to me there's a God or the church who have died out after a year. <laughs> Obedience and unity. Number three. Say number three. There came a mighty rushing wind. Now, they haven't spoken in tongues yet. And I'll come from a Pentecostal background. They haven't. No, none of that. Perhaps if they went through this process process, a lot of people wouldn't be so suspect about the tongues. Number one. Obedience. Number two. Obedience. Number three. The wind which speaks of righteousness. Righteousness blows the rubbish away. Blows all the dead leaves off. Doing things right with a right motive. Is that number three? Number four. Tongues of fire. Holiness. Say Holiness. Every person had a dose of holiness. The modern church wouldn't know what holiness is if it slapped them in the face with a kipper. 
This must be one of the most unholy bunches I've ever seen in the nation. Leaders are, leaders are faulting, committing adultery. And now you don't commit adultery now. No, you just get taken out for a season because of a, of a slip or a pressure. You don't, you don't sin anymore like David did. You and you alone have sinned against, oh God. Now it's a case of we've taken him out of ministry for a season. Well, how long is the season? Spring, summer, winter? Is it till they can repackage him and put a person back up again? So your people now will do what you do. Oh yes, God forgives. But I'll show you lots of times in the Bible where he doesn't restore them back to ministry again. Because the ministry is more important than their character. I'd rather follow a man or a woman of character than a man of charisma. Jesus spent 30 years so they could say no fault with this man and three years moving in the power. That's about the right balance. You should be 90% character and 10% power because you don't need much power. I'm appalled at leadership in the world today. Out of the 23 ordained with me in 78, there's only three of us left. Some quit because they weren't good enough. Some quit because they couldn't keep their hands out of the till, but most because they couldn't keep themselves out of a woman's bed. But it's just a slip under the pressure of ministry. No, it's not. It's immorality. And we need to repent. And be like David, do not take your spirit from me. He never built the temple, but God forgave him. His baby died out of the illegitimate relationship and his son tried to kill him. So don't sort of say, you know, in six months' time they'll be back ready to go again and bring out a book and a video on how I transgressed, but this will help you in your life and make a bomb out of it. It's got to stop. Got to get some righteousness and holiness back in the church. Not legal holiness, living holiness. And then it says, and then they began to speak with tongues, which is an additive. It's not the initial evidence, it's, it's an additive. And then they began to speak with tongues. And if only we taught this, perhaps we'd have spirit-filled people who actually lasted the race. Then they began to speak with tongues. Didn't stop there. Then Peter started to prophesy. Then he started to preach. Then people got saved. Then people got healed. Then people got added to the church. Surely those are the signs of the Spirit in a leader. No good speaking in tongues if nothing changes. No good prophesy if it doesn't come true. No good preaching if people don't get saved. See how much there is for us as leaders. It's never ending, is it? So how do we finish today? The way we started. Jesus became vulnerable even to the death of the cross. How vulnerable are we prepared to be as leaders? To allow God into our hearts and people under our arms. If you don't like people, quit from being a leader. What a dramatic statement. If you don't like people, well, I'm not here, my brother, I'm here to preach the word, that's all. So they just put you in a cupboard, do they bring you out at the weekend and put you back in again? I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't care what your gifting is. You could be a teacher, a preacher, you could be an evangelist. If you don't love people, Jesus said, and I had compassion on them. All I brought with me today for the second, second service, and then, and then we'll finish off, 
I've got books on revival, I've written up all these books type of things. But my girl in the media said, Pastor Dave, just take the Tuesday night prayer meeting series, which is so simple, it's frightening. I did 13 flights in, 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 in August, and I was in Oregon doing a conference. I was sitting in my log cabin, and I said, when I get back, Lord, on Tuesday, I go from the airport straight to the church to the healing service. What am I going to speak on? And he said, speak on righteousness. I said, what's that to do with healing? He said, it's got a lot to do with healing. Righteousness builds up a nation. It builds up anything. So what I did was, I come back, and for the next three weeks, I spoke on the righteousness of God, because he's lacking in the church today. And so we normally sell these at £15, but I said, so that we can get those out to the most people, charge £5. And what happened was, we sold 170 sets that week. And people were coming to me saying, I was made redundant the next day, and that helped me take it. I went from being so righteous at work that rather than getting redundant, I got promoted and got away pay rise. I went home and changed things with my wife and family. I've stopped doing unrighteous things as a Christian. Ooh, I thought, that's funny. And the Lord says, why don't you just talk about my characteristics? So I did two weeks on essential truth. Because you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. But the truth is, most of us Christians don't live in truth. Truth towards God, truth with each other. Or well, God's calling me pastor. He's, le- he's telling me to, to move on from the church now. He's leading me. No, he's not. Somebody's offended you and you're leaving. Tell the truth. God never brought you to this church. He's never telling you to go from the church. For God's sake, tell the truth, woman. You've got offended. That's fine if you want to go, but tell me the truth. You don't like me anymore. But don't give me this claptrap. God said, because you're using his name in vain. Tangible peace. Most Christians don't live in the peace of God. My peace I leave with you. It's the last gift Jesus gave to us before he come back. We don't live in the peace of God. Speaking tongues. I know in the middle of doing two weeks on living holiness. Then I'm doing divine compassion. And then I'm doing fruitful faith. And then I'm doing majestic glory. And then I'm doing the wonders of his word. And I'm going through all the very basics of what Jesus is. And every one of those he says we should be living. I'm going back to basics, boys and girls. And if we were to live it and teach it to our people, we'd have a church that couldn't stop growing because the darker the world is getting and it's losing control now, the brighter the Christian should be. But if we're drinking off their source and we're reacting like they're reacting and our conversations are like them and we've got the same mindset as them, then folks, no wonder they don't want to come in. We've got to be people. And we're real, genuine. You don't have to be all that clever. If you're a leader that's following Jesus, you'll always find somebody who wants to tag along. And I found this, just like sheep. The bigger the amount of people who follow you, the bigger the crowd gets. People who follow a crowd, and they ain't got a clue where it's going, there must be something good that wouldn't be coming. So you don't have to be clever to build a big church. You just have to follow Jesus. Can I read you this and then we'll finish? My dad used to write poetry and I couldn't even write but I'm doing a book of poetry now. This bookmark has sold 11,500 so far. First thing I did, Jesus wouldn't let me go down to the prayer meeting one night. He said, how much do you love me? I'm just going down. One of my African guys picked up my Bibles to take down. And I went, you know I love you. He said, you're not going to go down until you tell me. I said, I love you. He said, write me a letter. I said, oh God, the service is starting. He said, it's my meeting. They can do without you. They can't do without me and I'm omnipresent and I'm already down there. 
So you're not going down until you do what I tell you. Isn't God, isn't he, isn't he, sometimes, doesn't he, doesn't he get you, doesn't he? He's omnipresent, he fools you, doesn't he? So I just sat down and wrote this down. And he went, oh, that's fine, that's fine. Go now and read it to the people. Oh, God, he said, I want you to read them the love letter. Oh, God, I'm sorry I'm late, folks. I've had to write a letter to God and he wants me to write, read it to you. And my people understand how mad I am so they don't go, oh, he's mad. They go, oh, that's good, yeah. Well, this has now become posters in drug addicts' places and everything. It's very simple. It's just a question. As a leader, could you affirm to this? If a man knocked your door as he passed your way and he settled the debt you couldn't pay, wouldn't you just love him? If he saw you sick and riddled with shame and if he nursed you and healed you and took all your pain, wouldn't you just love him? If he noticed your hunger and lack of supply and fed you with manna from heaven on high, wouldn't you just love him? And if he knew you were lonely and needing a friend and he promised to love you and stay till the end, wouldn't you just love him? And if he offered to die so you could live, and if he promised to forgive all that you did, wouldn't you just love Jesus? Wouldn't you? Don't you? Do you? Will you? Has that helped? Are you all going to resign as leaders? It's for you. All right? I'll mean something to you, that will. Okay, let's stand, shall we? If you say, Lord, I don't want to be professional, I just want to be real. I don't want to be clever, I just want to be obedient I don't want to be revered I just want to reveal and put your hands in the air and our brothers in the Anglican church our dear brothers there get people to pray out loud don't they so why don't we pray a prayer together if you feel any part of it you can't pray just close your mouth Father God I cannot understand why you would allow me to serve and represent you. I don't deserve that honor. But this I know. You have redeemed me. Not with corruptible things, but with the blood of the Lamb. So I've been bought. I've been redeemed. I've been transformed. And I will be translated... And when I see you, I will be like you. But I will see you as you really are. Cleanse me. Make me real. Make me vulnerable to your spirit. So the people who I lead will see that I've been with Jesus. They were first called Christians at Antioch by non-Christians. And I want my non-Christian friends to call me Christian anointed ones because they can see I have been with you and as, as much as I'm with you let them follow that now Lord I thank you there can be a move of the spirit in my life in the ministry I'm involved in in the church I'm involved at in the place where I live you can do it you can bring forward those times 
if I love you and I keep asking for a pure motive. Amen. Is that good? You like that? And it won't get better straight away. All right? It's not going to get better straight away, love. This has a hold on a bit longer. Right, but around about March next year, you'll start seeing a breakthrough the crowds, all right? So you've got to hold on, mm-hmm. but he, he's gonna, his, his presence is going to get straight, stronger with you. Yeah. That makes sense? Yes, it does. It yeah. does make sense. Yeah. Bless you. Okay, well done. Thank you, sir. I hope that's been of some value. Thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot.